hear again a portion of today's gospel lesson. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That doesn't sound right. Whoever wants to be first has to be slave. Whoever wants to be greatest has to be least. I'm sure the disciples must be checking their ears, shaking their heads, and, and scratching. Uh, Jesus, I think you must have, I must have, must have misunderstood you. I could have sworn that you said, if I want to be great in God's kingdom, I have to become lowest. Uh, Jesus, I'm not sure if you know how the world works, but that's not how things happen here. Uh, we know what kingdoms and, and greatness look like, and it's not what you're describing. Uh, in this world, the, those who have power are the ones who show dominion. Those who are greatest are, are strength, are the strongest. <clears throat> those who have uh, authority, achievement, is in conquering, showing others that, that you're greater than them. See, in this world, it's, greatness is measurable. You can see it. You can see when people stand head and shoulders above the others around them. Enemies lie vanquished at our feet. Excuse me. We can see and we know what greatness looks like. And what Jesus is describing doesn't sound like greatness, at least not how we measure it in our lives. And so, certainly as Jesus said this upside-down, unexpected message, some would have left, walked away. Others didn't understand. I mean, and how could they follow somebody who had lost sight of reality, seemed to have been speaking nonsense. Power is shown in dominance, not in, in serving others, as Jesus says. Uh, greatness, as everybody knows, is in strength, but Jesus says it's in vulnerability, in letting other people in, exposing yourself to others, uh, letting them see your pain and your weakness. That achievement isn't in conquering others, but in showing compassion to them. How could Jesus expect us to do this and count this as greatness? It doesn't fit with, with what we know or how the world seems to work. It turns everything upside down. I want you to imagine with me for a moment what the world would be like if our world leaders, the, the president, monarchs, and dignitaries and those who are of great importance started to live things out this way, what would the world look like if instead of seeking to outdo one another, they were, they were trying to outshine one another in showing compassion, in lifting up the weak and the vulnerable, caring for the marginalized and the hurt around the world? What would our world look like if our leaders were competing to see who could come last and lift up others into that position of first and, and raise others up. I don't think our world would be recognizable. It would be incredibly different. It's, it's hard to even fathom. And yet that's exactly what Jesus says his kingdom looks like. It turns everything upside down. Greatness is redefined. 
it's an unexpected reality. But as we speak about power and kingdoms, if you watch the Netflix series The Crown, it's the story of Queen Elizabeth II as she ascended to the throne at the young age of 26 after her father, King George VI, had died at 56. And so it follows her, her trials and her ascension to the throne and, and taking over that role. And early on, in season one, she has this incredible struggle between who she feels she's called to be as, as an individual, who she is, and what it looks like to be the monarch of England, to be the queen. Because th- th- she can't be both anymore. And early on in season one, there's a scene where the queen mother Mary comes to her and says, you don't exist anymore. Uh, You're no longer here. It's only the queen who remains. You have to embrace that role. She struggled with that. But then soon after that, she, she goes on a tour of the British Empire. 26 weeks. Maybe it was 23 weeks. 23 weeks. And Throughout this tour, she's making multiple stops each and every day. Multiple appearances. And at one point, her husband, Prince Philip, says to her, I think we need to take a break. I've started to wake up, and I've realized while I'm sleeping, I'm still waving at the crowds. We, we've been making so many appearances, I, my, my hands, just my muscle memory, are still greeting the crowds. And she turns to him, and Queen Elizabeth says, No. The people want this. The people need this. It's our duty. We have to do this. See, in all of this, there was certainly a sense of of duty fulfilled. But there was also a strong sense of obligation. And throughout those 161 days, they had two days scheduled uh, to take time off and rest. And almost every other day, they had multiple appearances scheduled, and they never missed one. They never missed one. But throughout all of it, there's this strong sense of of servitude, of being a slave to her responsibilities for Queen Elizabeth. She felt like she was at the mercy of, of the demands of her circumstances and her situation. And a lot of this had to do with the reason why she was doing what she was doing. It wasn't the service itself that made her feel like a slave. It was the reason behind the service that made her feel that way. Because everyone around her kept on pressing on her. The importance that that above all, you must further the dignity and the honor of the crown. The crown is above all most important. You have to do what's best for the crown. That's what's most important. And it began to weigh on her. It weighed heavy on her. You see, as Christians, just like Queen Elizabeth, we're called to serve. We have this this responsibility, this call to lay down our lives in service for others. In fact, Paul, in his letter to to the church at Galatia, says that it's no longer he who lives, but Christ who lives in him. He no longer exists. It's, It's Jesus who's dwelling and living in him as he does all these things. As God's disciples... We're called to live that kind of life of of service for others. Lay down our lives. See, God equips us with with gifts and talents, skills that we have, and he gives us opportunities to use them. But the big difference, the important thing, is that we have a very different and the greatest reason behind that to serve others. 
We don't serve our own kingdom, but we serve God's kingdom. We proclaim the gospel message for others to know. We proclaim Christ crucified and salvation in his name. See, we don't seek to further our own little kingdoms here and now, but we work for an eternal kingdom, an eternal crown. We've received the crown of eternal life because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our victorious and conquering king. We follow in his footsteps, and that's, that, that gives us the greatest reason to serve. It makes all the difference. It's the difference between serving God's kingdom and any other kingdom. See, any other kind of service is temporary. Here for a moment and gone tomorrow, it doesn't last, it doesn't endure. But service for God's kingdom lasts forever. Service to the gospel has an eternal impact. It changes everything. So what if we as God's people, as those who are part of that upside-down, counterintuitive kingdom, started to live that way? Here and now. What if we we lived as if that was true? And we started to measure our our value, our achievement, not in terms of, of how many possessions we can accumulate, but the lives we can impact with the gospel. What if we measured our net worth not in terms of our bank accounts or the position we can achieve in society? but rather in terms of acts of service and compassion for those in need around us, for those in front of us. That's the kind of life Jesus is calling us to. And here's the amazing thing about that. It doesn't require being in a certain position or place in culture or society. It doesn't require having a certain know-how to be able to do it. Each and every one of us can serve in that kind of kingdom rich or poor, strong or weak, young or old, educated or not. Every one of us can seek to serve those around us. Every one of us can seek to be vulnerable and let people in so they can hear the gospel and how it's worked in our lives. Each and every one of us, by God's grace and his power in the Holy Spirit, can seek to show compassion on others, even those who seek our harm and may consider themselves our enemies. We can live a different kind of life. See, the biggest difference between God's kingdom and the kingdoms of this world is that when it comes to kingdoms of this world, we look to presidents and vice presidents, congress and pastors and teachers, people in position of authority to to change the world around us. We expect it to happen from the top down for morality to be legislated, for things to be changed as they impose it on us or tell us how we're supposed to live. In God's kingdom, it's the exact opposite. Change comes from the bottom up. It comes, it starts with you and me embracing this in our own lives, in our own hearts, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in the places we work, live, and play as we seek to follow God's command in his kingdom. As we're changed by the gospel, we go out and we serve others. We show compassion on others. We're willing to be vulnerable for the sake of others so that they might know the truth. And as we use the gifts that God has given us to serve others, to care for them, to invite them into our lives, God's kingdom happens all around us. 
It breaks into our homes, our communities, our schools, and it transforms the world around us. It makes all the difference. The great American physician and poet, Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr., once said this, Many people die with their music still in them. Too often it's because they are always getting ready to live, and before they know it, time runs out. Each and every one of us have a song inside of us. It's a song of the gospel. It's a new song of hope for the world. Let's not let time run out before others hear that song of hope we have to share. Instead, let us take music lessons. Let us be strengthened in this truth by studying God's word at home, by letting it have an impact on our lives, by by gathering with others around God's word, by coming together here and, and listening to God's word, by receiving his grace in the sacraments, by singing hymns of praise to his name. And by encouraging one another, strengthening one another as the the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ. We're called to let our light shine. See, in fact, we're called to let our light shine before others by doing our good works so that they might see our good deeds and glorify our heavenly Father. That they might see what we do, hear our song of praise, and be drawn into praise of that God. And this happens by what God is doing through us. And sometimes we like to think that it has to be grand gestures or or big, big things to to make a change. But God's gospel breaks in through the small, simple gestures. God's gospel breaks the darkness when you see somebody you don't know in worship. And you invite them to sit with you. Ask them how they're doing and say, you know, if you have any questions about what's going on here, if you don't understand, please ask me during the service. I'd be happy to, to help you understand what's happening. And their hearts and their ears are open to the gospel, which I promise you, you will hear each and every week from this pulpit. You will sing it every week in these songs. You'll hear it in God's word and receive it in the sacraments. You will hear God's gospel proclaimed clearly each and every week because that's what's most important. When you go out into the world as as people of God's kingdom, and contrary to how the world works, You seek first to understand and to hear and to listen before you seek to be understood and tell people what your opinion is or what you think. God's grace is working in you and through you so that they might hear the gospel truth, so that God's grace might break into the darkness. When we serve through things like the the food bank, the clothes closet, the youth mystery dinner to raise funds for the hurricane, and people ask why we're doing it, and we say, Because we've been served by God first and we want to share that blessing with others. God's kingdom breaks in all around us. When you open your home and gather around God's word with others or you meet at places like Kistner's and and read the Bible with a few other people and maybe a beer in your hand, God's light, God's truth breaks into the darkness and shines for others to see. But in the end, it's not about what we do. It's about why we're doing it. And it's important to realize that that we can't control when people hear the gospel or how they receive it, but that God's spirit works through those kinds of things. That his gospel breaks through the hardest of hearts, the, the tallest of walls, and begins to change through our small acts of service, through what we do. 
In today's gospel lesson, uh, Jesus talks a little bit about this. See, when, when the mother of James and John comes to him and asks if they can be seated at his right and his left hand, this, this place of, of power and authority, Jesus asks them, can you drink the cup I drink? And they say, of course we can. Jesus knows full well that they can't drink the cup that he drank. He is the only one who could live a perfect, sinless life. He is the only one who could die and rise from the grave, assuring us of the hope of the resurrection. He is the only one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that changes everything. It is Jesus only who does it for us. For us, it's still all about Jesus. And that changes why we do what we do. We serve, we love, we show compassion, we we act in grace because he has loved us first. He has shown grace to us first. He has forgiven us first. He has been merciful and compassionate first. He came to seek and save the lost first. He became weak and lowly first. He died for us first. Because Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, being found in the form of a human. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to death on a cross, for you and for me. We love and we serve others because he loved and he served us first. Because of Jesus We are sent back out into the world as grace-filled ambassadors seeking to, to honor his name, to glorify his kingdom, and to draw others into that same kingdom with us. In Jesus' name, amen.